You can go ahead and clap. Yes, yeah. Wow. I was standing back there as we were singing this morning. Just, you just sense the presence of God in this place today. And why not? He is risen. He is risen. Yes, he is. I'm so glad each one of you came to be a part of this. Uh, we've got folks online with us today, obviously you in person. It's just a great thing to come and, and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are here on Friday night, and as you look up here at the foot of the cross, you'll find a bunch of cards there. Really powerful time on Friday where people came. We came and we laid down sins or, or doubts or fears or praises or prayers. That was... Friday, today is Sunday. Today is Easter, and we come and we celebrate that the grave could not hold Christ's body. He rose again on that first Easter Sunday. He is risen. He is risen. Somebody gave me this after the first service. Jesus is risen. Tell your peeps. So that was really good. He's risen. Tell your peeps. Um, I love everything about Easter. I love the peeps, and I love... uh, But more importantly, I love the music. I love the celebration. I love the tone of joy. I love everything about Easter. And I love the message of Easter. Because the message of Easter is life-changing. Recently, I read a story about a child named Philip. In the eyes of most people, Philip didn't know much. But Philip knew what Easter was all about. You see, Philip was born with Down syndrome. And in most respects, he was a happy, pleasant child, but he was different and he knew it. And others quickly recognized it. And it took him a while to fit in with with the, the Sunday school class that he was a part of. He went to a special school during the week, but on Sundays he attended this Sunday school class with other eight year old boys and girls. The Sunday school teacher was so gifted and so discerning. She was creative and fun-loving, and she was the perfect match for the eight-year-olds and for Philip. You see, they learned to laugh and play together, and they really cared with one another, but it was hard for for Philip to, to fit in. But Easter rolled around, and the teacher had an idea. The teacher collected a bunch of big plastic eggs. She had one for each child in the class. And she told the class to walk around the churchyard and look for things that reminded them of Easter. They were to put the item in their egg and bring it back to the classroom. They would share and open their eggs and they would share the Easter surprises. So the class did that. And then as they came back together, they put them all on the table and they began to open them one by one. Uh, As the teacher opened the first one, there was a flower. And then she opened another and there was a, a little butterfly. And she opened another and there was a rock. And the teacher opened the next one and there was nothing in it. It was empty. The children thought somebody had messed up. And they said, who put in in the empty egg? And the teacher felt a tug on her sleeve and she looked down and it was Philip. He said, it's mine, it's mine. And the children laughed at him. And And Philip said, I did it, and it's, I did it so it was right. I did do it. It's right. It's empty because the Easter tomb is empty. And suddenly the room grew really quiet and silent. And each child knew in that moment that Philip had understood fully the message of Easter. That day was a turning point. From that day on, Philip suddenly became a real part of that group. 
of eight-year-old children. Despite his difficulties and challenges, Philip knew what Easter was all about. He had embraced the life-changing message of Easter. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. What I want to talk about today is this. We celebrate Easter, but do we really know the implications and the significance of what Easter is all about? Because if we're not careful, Easter is just some dusty relic that we pull off the shelf one time a year, celebrate it, dust it off, then put it back on the shelf. And we don't understand the life-changing message of Easter. This morning, I would ask you this question. Do you know the real meaning of Easter? You know, as a church, we have been walking through the gospel of Mark now for 15 weeks. Today is 15 weeks. We started the very first Sunday in January. And so on Friday, we covered Mark chapter 15, the crucifixion. Today, we made it to Mark chapter 16. It's been just so rich and so powerful to walk through each one of the chapters. But I got to tell you, chapter 16 is the pinnacle. It's the summit. It's the climax. It's what it is all about. So for a few moments this morning, I want to share with you from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, the life-changing message of Easter. I want you to write down the main point today. It's simply this. Following Jesus means embracing the life-changing message of the resurrection. What is that life-changing message of the resurrection? Well, first of all, it's this. It's a message of peace. It's a message of peace. If you've got your Bible or device, you can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I want you to get the picture, the context for that first Easter morning. Three women come to the tomb very early, and they come to anoint Jesus' dead body. You'll say, why? Why were they coming to anoint his dead body? In Jewish culture, they would not embalm the dead. They would anoint the dead body out of honor and respect. So the women come, and they're coming, man, out of devotion and love for Jesus Christ. And so they come and do this. And they think they're going to come, and, and they're thinking, man, the stone's going to be there. I'm not sure what they thought, but, but somehow the stone needed to be moved. They got there, and they found the stone had been rolled away. Instead of the body of Jesus, the women saw a young man, Mark says, dressed in a white robe. This was an angel. As you compare this with Matthew's account of this morning, it was an angel. And the verse says they were alarmed meaning they were, they were shocked, they were amazed, they were startled, they were disturbed. 
They were frightened. Certainly all these emotions washed over the women. And it's the angel's message that he spoke to them that I want you to really focus on this morning. Because it's really powerful as you think about the words. The angel spoke these words to them. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. The message that morning from the angel to the three women is simply this. Don't be alarmed. Now, let me say this. I think these three women, they were the heroes. Man, they showed up. They were there. They came out of devotion. They, they, they bought the spices. They were coming to anoint the body. But just like the rest of the disciples, they thought it was over. I mean, Jesus had told them all along through the gospel of Mark that he was going to die and he was going to rise again. But they come out of devotion and they come and, they, and they're, they're sorrow. And like, what, like the rest of the disciples, they forgot the resurrection promise. So the women, they were alarmed. They were sorrowful. They were worrying about the future. Who's going to roll the stone away? When they learned that Jesus was alive, their first response was fear, not faith. So the message of the angels, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. I want you to get this. I want you to make this connection this morning. Sometimes we, like the women and the rest of the disciples, we forget the resurrection promise. I like to think of it this way. So often we live our lives like it's Friday and not Sunday. How can you know if you're living life like it's Friday and not Sunday? You live life like it's Friday when you, you, you just live like Jesus is dead. You live life like it's Friday when, when you tend to live with fear instead of faith. You live like it's Friday when you live with anxiety instead of peace. God has called us not to be Friday people, but Sunday people. And the connection we need to make this morning is this. The three most important words I believe in the English language are these. He has risen. He has risen. And when you focus on those words, man, that kind of blows away all the fear, all the doubt, all the worry, all the anxiety. In fact, Sunday people experience what I call a peace that passes all understanding. Max Licato has written a great book called Anxious for Nothing. And in it, he writes this great, great insight. He says, you may be facing the perfect storm, but Jesus offers the perfect peace. And in that book, Max Licato, from that title, he really di dives deeply into Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, I like the way the, the New Living Translation translates it. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And I like this last part. His peace will guard your heart's and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Man, I don't know about you, but I need that guard on my heart and on my mind. If you haven't figured it out yet, you need to know this. The enemy will come at you in your heart, 
and in your head. He will come at you in your feelings and in your thoughts. And so what it says here in this verse is this. When you experience God's peace, he will guard your heart. He will guard your mind. What are you worried about today? Even on this Easter Sunday, I can't help but think that simmering deep below in some people's lives this morning, there's a worry. Even though Jesus is alive, there's a worry. Someone said that research has been estimated that we perform a great deal of unnecessary worry. Think, things for which we worry can be broken down as follows. Things which never happen, 40%. Things in the past which can't be changed or corrected, 30%. Needless worry about our health, 12%. Petty, miscellaneous worries, 10%. Real and legitimate worries, 8%. An exasperated husband asked his wife, why are you always worrying when it doesn't do any good? She quickly said, oh, yes, it does. 90% of the things I worry about never happen. <laughs> A lot of us are good at worry. You know what the antidote for worry is? Worship. The antidote for worry is, is worship. In fact, um, I'd like for you to write these two principles out to the side here. These are really important. If you struggle with worry and you need to experience that life-changing message of peace, a life without prayer is a life without peace. Conversely, peace happens when people pray. Like the women at the tomb, we worry and we're afraid, and we miss the message of the empty tomb. Right before them is the empty tomb. Jesus is alive. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. What's the life-changing message of the resurrection? It's a message of peace. There's a second thing I want you to write down. It's also a message of, of power. The life-changing message of the resurrection is a message of power. Look again at Mark 16, verse 6. Notice what it says. The angel's message to the three women. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Notice the last sentence. See the place where they laid him. Imagine being there. The angels pointing out the very place Jesus had been laid. He's telling the women, check it out. See the place where, where they laid him. What's interesting is the question on their mind as they make their way to the tomb, verse 3 is, Who's going to roll the stone away? You know, it really didn't click for me until I went to Israel and saw a replica of the tomb in Gordon's Calvary, a place called Gordon's Calvary. And it's kind of set up. There's a cave, a tomb set up, and you can see the, the opening of it. You can kind of go into the inner chamber, and there's two stages to it. But the thing that really blew me away is I thought about that replica of the kind of tomb that Jesus was buried in was the stone, the stone was huge. It was huge. It was on an incline. It would roll down and would cover the opening. And to move that stone, man, it would have been crazy hard to do that. And yet the, woman know, the women know that there's this stone. 
and they know that it's enormous, and they know it's going to be difficult. How would that happen? Imagine them when they see the stone has been rolled away. I've got a question for you this morning. Why? Why was the stone rolled away? Someone said this, not to let Jesus out, but to let the witnesses in. You see, the stone was rolled away, and the power of God was evident. Jesus rose again. I think we miss the connection sometimes to this idea of the power, the resurrection power of God. Romans 8.11 says this, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. Let that sink in just for a moment. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, incredible power, is living in you if you're a believer. I think most believers, either they don't know that, or they don't access that, or they don't even realize that. Because he is risen, we've got the power. Tony Evans tells a story of a little boy whose father told him to pick up a heavy rock that was in their way. And the boy tried, grunted, and said, Daddy, I, I can't lift that heavy rock. His dad said, yes, you can, son. So the boy tries again. Uh, dad, I can't lift it. Yes, you can, son. The boy went back again. Same result. Dad, I can't lift it. And the dad says, yes, you can. You're not using all your strength. You didn't ask me to help you. And I love this application here. Please hear this. God can pick up the heaviest rocks in your life. Some of you may be struggling with the heavy rock of your marriage and you need God to help you to lift that rock. Some of you may be struggling in your job and it's a heavy rock and burden and struggle. You need God to help you lift that rock. Some of your relationships, man, it's a heavy rock that you're kind of trying to lift and, and, and man, you need God to help you. He doesn't want you grunting and groaning in your own strength. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's a verse in the Bible that I've claimed for my life. Anytime I feel weak and helpless and I'm struggling in life. And the verse is this, Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we could ever ask or think, get this, according to his power within. Have you really grasped that promise? God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you could ever ask or think, according to his power in you. You see, I think oftentimes... We live in the shallows in our Christian life. You know, as you think about, uh, I was uh, hiking the other day at Pickerington Ponds. And some of you have been on the observatory uh, platform up there. You look out and there's this kind of these two different uh, illustrations of the divers and the dabblers when it comes to, to birds. And the dabblers are just kind of skimming along the surface for, for, for food and stuff. They're the dabblers. They're just kind of dabbling along. But then the other illustration is the, of the divers. The divers go deep. They go deep to get their nutrition. And as I was looking at that, I thought, man, that's a great 
great analogy of our life. Some Christians live like dabblers. Just get a little bit here, a little bit there, and they're, ah, that's good enough. Some are divers, and they go deep, and they understand that they have access to God's resurrection power. Whatever you're going through today, let me just say this, God is able. He's able. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. And yet many of us struggle as dabblers. And we don't, don't go deep with God and experience his resurrection power. We have access to that power. How often do we say something like this? I feel powerless to change this situation. I feel powerless to break this bad habit. I feel powerless to save this relationship. What you need to know there is a power greater than yourself. And you're never meant to live in your own power. Here's another verse that I love. It's Paul's prayer, Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. He says, I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. It is that same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand. You need to understand something this morning. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got the power. You've got the power. You've got God's power. What kind of power is that? Power over sin. It's power over weakness. It's power over fear. It's power over shame. It's power over despair. It's power over anger. It's power over lust. It's power over greed. It's power over pride. It's power over doubt. It's power over guilt. These are the things that beat us down, and yet you don't have to live that way. You've got the power. If you're not a believer today, man, I would encourage you today. There's no better day than to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ and experience his power and his eternal life. Tony Evans said this, because Christ is a man, he feels what we feel because he's God. He can do something about it. God can do something about what you're going through right now. But you've got to tap in to the power. What is the life-changing message of the resurrection? It's a message of peace that passes all understanding. It's a message of power, resurrection power. And then finally, it's a message of promise. Notice in verse 7 of Mark 16. The angel says to the women, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told. You see the promise here? It's interesting in my Bible, and I hadn't noticed this for a long time until a few years ago, because something that's familiar sometimes is not powerful. But let me just say, this is very familiar. Many of us have read this many times, but there's something really powerful here. Two words. Do you see them? And Peter. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Why did the angels specifically call out Peter? I mean, they all, they all needed to go, but why did he say and Peter? Some of you know why. Because Peter, when he said, I will never, I will never deny you, Lord, denied the Lord three times. 
denied him three times. And there was this guilt and there was this shame. Peter was tempted just to go back to fishing, man, and quit following Jesus because he's blown it, man. How could he ever recover from that? God wanted to make it very clear to Peter through this message of the women to the disciples that he is the God of the second chance. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Whatever your name is, and fill in the blank. You need to hear this. That God is a God of second chance, and he doesn't give up on us. He didn't give up on Peter. Some of you know that Peter went on to become one of the leaders, if not the leader of the disciples for some time. He preached the first sermon of the church in Acts chapter 2. He wrote two books of the Bible, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. When I read the story of Peter, I find myself thinking, we're not all that different. Because whether we like to put on an act or not, we all blow it. We all struggle. We all sin. We all fail. Amen. As a believer, what we need to know more than anything else is there's this promise of God's grace. And there's this God of the second chance. We often feel like fools and feel like failures like Peter. And yet God comes along and whispers in our ear through the Spirit of God, I'm the God of the second chance. I love you and I'm for you. I'm with you. Have you discovered in your life that life doesn't get easier as you get older? <laughs> I'm discovering that. I'm discovering that, you know, you think, well, man, if I just hit, you know, 50, then everything's going to be great. If I just hit 60, it's going to be 65, man, it's, man, clear sailing from there. I've learned this. Some of you may have learned this as well, but it doesn't get easier. I think life gets harder. I think it gets hard. And when life is hard, we need to realize that God has some promises for us. I've got this book in my Bible called All the Promises of the Bible, written by Herbert Lockyer. And in it, he counted, he did the research. In the book, he counted the number of promises made by God to mankind and came up with the number 7,487 promises of God to mankind. As I thought about that, I thought probably the top promise for me and probably for you as well is the promise I want to just talk about just for a moment here. And it's, it's the promise of God's presence. It's one of the greatest promises of all. In fact, it's throughout the Bible. I'll just give you two verses. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. The promise of God's presence. Psalm 23, 4. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Some of you may be walking through a dark valley this morning, and you, you need to claim that promise of God's presence if you're a believer. The second time we see it, in the, New, in the, first, the next time we see it in the New Testament, is Jesus, after his resurrection, in Matthew 28, he says this, to his disciples as he gives them marching orders. And we often don't, we don't read this part of the Great Commission. But in, at the very end, he says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You see, the life-changing message of the resurrection is it's a promise. 
of God's presence. How do you make it personal? How do you make this life-changing message of the resurrection of Jesus practical, not just on Easter, but on every day of your life? Let me give you two ways. Number one, first of all, you make it personal when you trust Jesus for salvation. Some of you may just need to say, today, I will trust Jesus. I will trust Jesus today for salvation because you've never come to a point in your life where you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you've turned from your sin and you've turned to the Savior who died on the cross for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And you say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. I come to you. I praise you for dying on the cross for me. I give my life to you. The Bible says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So many people want to do something to gain their salvation. The difference between every world religion and Christianity is simply this. Every world uh, religion says, I've got to do something to earn my salvation. Christianity says this, the work is already done. It's already done. It's been done on the cross. All you need to do is receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There's a second way that you can make this life-changing message personal. You can make it personal when you trust Jesus Christ today for strength. In fact, I'm probably talking to a lot of believers here today. I know many of your stories. And I would say the life-changing message of the resurrection really begins to resonate with us when we really make this statement and we've got this conviction. I'm going to trust Jesus today for the strength that I'm going to need. I'm going to trust him to pick up the big heavy rocks in my life. And we say, we know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly all we could ever ask or think according to his power in us. Don't underestimate the power of God in your problems as a believer. Trust him for the strength. Will you embrace the life-changing message of the resurrection today? At the beginning of the message, I talked about a young man named Philip, young boy. Several months after he shared with his Sunday school class about the empty leg, egg, he, Philip became sick, and he always had lots of things wrong with his body. His family had known since the time he was born that, that he would probably not live a long life. So in late July, with an infection that most normal children could fend off, shrug off, Philip died. At the funeral, eight, nine-year-old children marched up to the front of the church, not with flowers, to lay on his casket. Instead, eight, nine-year-olds with their Sunday school teacher marched up to the front and each laid on the covered casket eight empty plastic eggs. What a statement. Of all that Philip didn't learn in his short life, he learned life's most important lesson. The tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, I will live forever. Man, I hope you, I hope you embrace that message today. Because so often we just dust it off on Easter and we talk about it. 
But the message, the life-changing message of Easter is simply this, that the tomb is empty, that Jesus died and he conquered death and he conquered the grave. Recently, I've done several funerals. And as a pastor, what do you say to a loved one when you go to the gravesite? You say this, death has been defeated because Jesus rose again. The tomb is empty and your loved one is with the Lord. We don't like to talk about it, but every one of us will come to that point in our life. I guess I would just ask this question. Do you know that you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Man, when you've got that, when you've got Jesus, you've got everything. You can have everything the world has to offer, but if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. The life-changing message of the resurrection is the tomb is empty. It's a message of peace. It's a message of power. It's a message of promise.